Psalm 19 from verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The second reading comes from Romans 1, 18 to 25. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, to the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. BM, great to see you. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. A huge welcome to you, particularly if you're brand new or visiting us for this important topic. How can I know there is a God? I'm guessing there's a whole bunch of different opinions in the room tonight. Perhaps you're here and you haven't really thought about this question. You're just going about life day after day and 
you know, who has time for these kinds of issues? Maybe you're here and you, you believe there's some kind of God, but you're not sure how you can know him or her or if you can ever really know God. Perhaps you're here and you're convinced there is no God. I've been told before that the evidence for God is the same as there is for fairies at the bottom of your garden. Maybe that's you, maybe that's what you think. Well, look, in our country, there's still many people who believe in God. Last year, there was a survey, 58% of Australians believe in some kind of God. When the pandemic hit, Google searches for prayer skyrocketed. There's clearly some sense in our society still that there's, there's something out there, there's something more. I think this is a question that's worth thinking about. And after all, if there, if there is a God, suppose that there is, wouldn't you want to know what that God is like? Wouldn't you want to know the implications that God has for your life? Well, you're probably not surprised as a Christian pastor that I'm convinced there is a God. And I'm convinced that knowing this God gives meaning, gives purpose, gives Satisfaction gives salvation, gives hope. All those things that we've been looking for. But here's the thing. I can't prove it to you. It might surprise you to hear me say that. I can't prove it to you. And there are some things in our life that we can prove. Uh, questions of science that we can do experiments and repeat those experiments and test the hypothesis. You know, does water boil at 100 degrees? We can do an experiment, we can test it, we can repeat it, and yeah, there's some proof. But there's lots of things in life that we can't prove in those kinds of ways. Can you prove that people walked on the moon? The conspiracy theorists would say, no, see, it never happened. I believe that it did. But we can't repeat it in some kind of experiment in a lab. I believe it happened because I've seen photos and I've heard the interviews and I have no reason to doubt it. What about in a law court? Say there's a murderer on trial and you're part of the jury trying to work out, are they guilty? Can you prove it? Well, you don't want to... You know, you can't repeat it. You can't repeat the murder, and you can't, you can't prove it. What you need to do as a jury is look and examine the evidence and work out what makes best sense of the evidence. Is the fact that this person is a murderer beyond reasonable doubt? That's the language they use, beyond reasonable doubt. And see, that's the same thing when it comes to God. We can't prove God like you'd prove whether water, do, water boils at 100 degrees. What we need to do is we need to look at the world around us, look at our life experiences, look at the highs, look at the lows, and go, okay, what makes the most sense of my life? What makes the most sense of the world? Is there evidence for the existence of God beyond reasonable doubt? I'm not saying that there is no evidence for God. I believe that there is, but we just can't prove it in the same way we prove science. We've got to examine the evidence. See, that's what faith is. Faith is not blind faith. We don't believe in blind faith. To become a Christian, you don't have to leave your brain at the door. Faith is trusting 
when you have good reasons to do so. Faith is trusting when you have good reasons to do so. And I believe there are great reasons to put our faith in God. Tonight, I want to invite you into the courtroom. I want you to imagine that you're on that jury. I want you to look with me at some of the evidences, some of the reasons for God, and see whether his existence is beyond reasonable doubt. I've got five things tonight, five points. It's worth saying there's many other points we could look at. And for the five we're going to look at, there are nerdy books written about all of them. And so I'd love to point you to more resources, or if you want to talk and debate with me afterwards, I'd love to chat. Here's five things, five reasons for believing in God beyond reasonable doubt. Number one, the beginning of the universe. The beginning of the universe. My wife and I love thinking about space and galaxies. Four or five years ago, we went to the States, and we made sure that we went to Houston, Texas, to visit NASA, and it was so cool. We just nerded out the whole time. I think our son's taking after us. He's obsessed with Buzz Lightyear and to infinity and beyond and the galaxies and spaceships. And I wonder when was the last time you just thought about the fact, how crazy it is that we are on this tiny little planet, part of this huge universe. And like, I know it's cliched, but you ask yourself, where did it all come from? Where did it all come from? I mean, suppose you're walking through a forest. Just imagine you're walking through a forest. And you keep walking. You go to the depths of the forest, far away from human civilization. And you come across a rubber ducky. You come across a rubber ducky. It's quite a big one. And you think to yourself, wouldn't your first reaction be, where did this come from? Now, imagine if your friend said to you, there's no answer. There's no explanation. Stop thinking about it. You'd think your friend was crazy. It had to come from somewhere. Now, grow that rubber ducky to the size of a car, to the size of a planet. It's a big rubber ducky. To the size of the universe. Same problem. Where did it come from? What's the explanation? What's the reason? See, philosophers say... Whatever began to exist must have a cause. Whatever began to exist must have a cause. The universe can't have caused itself to exist. So what did? Now, maybe you're thinking, the Big Bang. That's what caused the universe to exist. And I'll lay my cards on the table. I believe in the Big Bang. I think there's great scientific reasons to believe in the Big Bang. But what caused the Big Bang? What the Big Bang shows us is that the universe does indeed have a birth date, does indeed have a starting point. What caused it to begin? Well, look at what Psalm 19 says. It was our first reading. It's on the screen. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. You go outside, you look at the stars, you look at the moon, you witness a beautiful sunset. Those things are preaching a sermon to you. They are declaring to you, they are proclaiming to you. What are they proclaiming? The glory of God, it says. 
They're declaring the work of God's hands. They're revealing knowledge that God has made in this world, that he is glorious, that he is beautiful. One writer says that the world is charged with the grandeur of God. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. Now, there's a lot of things that the the world around us can't tell us about God. We still need the scriptures. We still need Jesus. But they do show us that there is a God. He's glorious. He made the world. Maybe you're thinking, ah, Andrew, but what caused God? You hear that kind of uh, objection often as though it's some kind of knockdown argument that no one's thought of before. Richard Dawkins, um, who is a brilliant evolutionary biologist and a hopeless philosopher, he throws this argument out. What caused God? Aha, see, gotcha. The answer is that nothing caused God. He is the eternal God, the uncaused cause. Something has to be eternal. If this was caused by this, was caused by this, was caused by this, I know it's brain-bending stuff, but something has to be eternal. John Lennox, he's a professor in Oxford, and he once debated Richard Dawkins, and Richard Dawkins said this argument, well, what caused God? This is what John Lennox says about that. If Dawkins insists that God is not an explanation, then by the same token, any reason he gives for the universe is not an explanation, unless he can say what caused it to come into being. I therefore asked him in the public debate this question. You believe the universe created you. So who created your creator? I've been waiting more than 10 years for an answer to that. None has been forthcoming. What he's saying? What caused, what was the first cause? What caused all things to begin? Next time you're out and looking at the moon, looking at the stars, looking at the ocean, you are hearing a sermon. You are witnessing them proclaiming God's glory, his wonder, his majesty, his love. Isn't that amazing? Second reason for believing in God is the design of the universe. The design of the universe. You've ever gone to an art gallery where there's modern art? And you're standing there in front of this modern art, and you know, it's a paint canvas. And it kind of looks like someone's just tripped over and accidentally spilt paint all over it. And you look at it going, what the heck is this? And the people are standing next to you going, oh, wow, isn't that deep? Wow, see what they've done there? And you're looking at it going, a child could have painted this. See, some artworks you come across and it looks like an accident. You're thinking, what on earth? But if you stand in front of a Picasso painting, you're not looking at that going, that's an accident. You're looking at that going, this is a masterpiece. There is some kind of artist. There there is a mastermind, a genius who's been at work here. And that's what I think it's like when we look at our universe. It is a masterpiece. There's design. There's fine-tuning, the laws of gravity, the the speed of light, uh, the, the, the constants of physics, the beauty of the ocean the intelligence of a dolphin, the craftiness of a bin chicken. I mean, this world is just design. 
Just imagine millions of dials, and they're all set to a certain place, and they've got to be set in a certain place for life to exist. There are billions of trillions of possible combinations of how these dials can be arranged. The chance that all of them will be set at the right place so that life could exist is, is almost impossible. Which takes more faith? To believe that all these certain dials are set in the exact right place so that life can exist here on this planet by total fluke, or that perhaps there was a God who designed and fine-tuned our world. Or maybe you're thinking, ah, but have you heard, Andrew, of the multiverse? There are many galaxies. There could, be, there could be trillions of galaxies, and all of them aren't inhabitable for life, and we just happen to be in the one that is. Well, what's the evidence for that? Isn't that a leap of faith as well? I believe when we look at this world, the fine-tuning, the design, I believe it is a strong reason for the existence of God. And it's worth just saying, by the way, I don't think this contradicts evolution. I think you can be a Christian and believe in evolution. What we're talking about here is, is no matter how it happened, behind it there is evidence of a creator, a designer. Here's the problem. Do we have eyes to see it? You heard in our second reading, Romans chapter 1. It says in verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. What's the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying, since the creation of time, it's obvious. God's power, his divine nature, it's clearly seen. No one has an excuse. The problem is we have been blinded by sin. Our hearts have been darkened. And instead of seeing the created world and giving thanks to God and praising him, instead we're not living for him. We're, we're worshipping other things. We've turned from him. We've pushed him out of our lives, whether consciously or unconsciously. And instead of seeing the evidence of God in this world, we've been blinded. I'm going to give you some homework to go home and consider the beauty of the way you've been knit together, the glory of the universe, and just say, God, all praise and honour be to you. You created all things. By your will, they exist and have their being. Hallelujah. Number three, the third reason for believing in God is the meaning and beauty of our universe. The meaning and beauty of our universe. This is what we looked at last week, so I'm going to speed through this one. And if you, want to, if you weren't here last week, you go online and listen to the sermons. I'm sure we can all relate to the desire to want to have purpose, to want to have meaning, to want to have significance in our life. We all need that. But if there is no God and science is all that there is, and science is good, but it doesn't answer the questions of meaning and purpose, if science is all that there is, then you are just a bag of cells 
You're only here because your ancestors managed to uh, defeat other organisms that were weaker than them, and you were the one who evolved to survive. Your sense of hope is just a biological reaction in your brain. If you love someone, it's just brain synapses firing. I'm not saying that if you don't believe in a God, you can't have a meaningful life. There's plenty of people who are atheists who live very meaningful lives. But what I'm sure we saw last week is that, is that there's no rational reason for having that meaning because you're just a cosmic accident. But there is a God who gives us the meaning, the significance that we long for. You are made in the image of God. You have dignity and worth. The, the, every part of you is designed by God. Men and women are equal, not because we made that up, but because God says so. Black lives matter, not because it's a slogan, but because God has made all people in his image. You're more than a bag of cells. The cells in your body replace every seven years, but you're the same person. You're more than a bag of cells. If you're an artist, a musician, an actor, when you, when you engage in art, it's not just beautiful because we've kind of evolved to find some things beautiful so that we can uh, procreate and find a mate or whatever the answers are. It, it's beautiful because it is just beautiful. Because we have a God who's a creator, who's an artist. And love, consciousness, hope, all these things that make us human, they're not just illusions created by your genes. They're evidences that there is meaning, there's beauty, that you're made in God's image, made for a relationship with him. And that's what God offers, freedom, hope, purpose, identity, meaning, satisfaction. Number four, the fourth reason for believing in God is the right and wrong in our universe. In my first degree, uh, I majored in philosophy, which up until this point in my life has been a totally useless degree, <laughs> except for the last two weeks looking at these topics. It's been fun. I remember I did the one subject, and the whole semester was on where does morality come from? Where does a sense of right or wrong come from, or human rights? Where does it come from? Every week, we have three or four hours of lectures and tutorials looking at different theories. Where does right and wrong come from? We finished the semester. Uh, everyone applauded the lecturer. Everyone left the lecture theater to get ready for the exams. And I went up to the lecturer and I asked him, out of interest, where do you think morality comes from? What's your personal opinion? You know, he's presented all these different options. And I'll never forget what he said. He looked at me in the eyes and he said, I have no idea. I have no idea. Now, inbuilt in all of us, I think, is a moral compass, a sense of right and wrong. It's woven into the fabric of our universe. But where does it come from? I mean, if there's no God, if we're just a cosmic accident, then, then where does right or wrong come from? Our society today says the ultimate good is that we're free. Free to be whoever we want to do, be whatever we want to be. Well, does that mean I'm free to... What if I decide to use my freedom to harm the environment? Obviously, that's wrong. 
but how can you tell me it's wrong? What, what grounds can you te- use to tell me that that is wrong? How can we disagree with someone? Where, where does our sense of morality come from? This is what Richard Dawkins says. He says, it's up on the screen, Richard Dawkins says, there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pointless indifference. I don't agree with him. I don't agree with him. Maybe you're thinking, oh, well, you know, society just works better when we agree on some kind of right and wrong. Kind of like road rules. You know, if we just agree, then it just makes driving on the roads less chaotic. And if it works for a society, then great. Well, there are some societies in the world that, you know, believe in child sacrifice, and it's, it's, it seems to be working for them, but I'll tell you, I don't think it's right. What are our grounds for saying something is right or wrong? The second part of Psalm 19, our first reading, I'll read it to you. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the law are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. God has spoken. He's spoken through his word. He's shown us who he is in his scriptures. He's shown us how to live. He's given us commandments. And actually, I think even if we didn't have the scriptures inbuilt in us is that moral compass. It comes from God that we're made in his image. You know, historians have traced the idea of human rights. It came out of a Christian legacy, Christian societies. So God gives us that sense of morality. So there are four pieces of evidence, four reasons. Number one, God has revealed himself through the beginning of the universe. Where did it come from? Number two, God has revealed himself through the design of the universe, the fine-tuning. Number three, God has revealed himself through the meaning and the beauty of the universe. And number four, God has revealed himself through the morality, the sense of right and wrong in the universe. But we've saved the best and the most mind-blowing to last. Because God has revealed himself in a way that far surpasses anything we've looked at so far tonight. See, we can try and reason our way to God, like we've just been doing, and it's really helpful, really helpful to not leave our brain at the door, but to engage our minds and look at the evidence. And we can reason our way to God, but that only takes us so far. And what we need is an encounter with God, a personal encounter with him. And 2,000 years ago, God took on flesh. Jesus Christ walked this earth. All historians agree that he was a real person. He claimed to be God. He said, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. You want to know God? Look at Jesus. This is crazy. There's no other religion like this. 
There's no other religion that has God enter human existence. It makes, I think, Christianity the easiest to prove or disprove. It's falsifiable because God actually walked into our existence. The Russians, they went into space and they reported back and said, we've looked around, we can't find God, he's not there. Expecting to see God with your own eyes in this world. I mean, we can't expect that. God is outside this world. He made it. It's like expecting to see J.K. Rowling inside Hogwarts. It's like Harry Potter and Ron expecting to walk into Hogwarts and see J.K. Rowling there. J.K. Rowling is the one who made the world. She's outside the world. How can Harry and Ron expect to meet J.K. Rowling inside it? Instead, in this world, we see the handprints of God. We see evidence of his love and his character, but he's not inside it. Ah, but unless J.K. Rowling writes herself into the book, unless J.K. Rowling writes herself into the book, and meets Harry and Ron personally. And that's what God has done through Jesus. He has entered our lives, our world. He took on flesh and came to relate to us, to bring us to him. Isn't that amazing? I'm sure you've heard people say before, well, if God really exists, why doesn't he just show himself to me? To which I'd say, firstly, who are you that God has to show himself to you on your terms? He's God. He can do it any way he wants. But secondly, he has. He has shown himself. He became human. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus reveals to us God. Isn't it crazy? God actually wants to know you. God wants you to know him. And I'm not just talking about intellectual knowing. God wants you to know him in relationship. I mean, if if I were to ask you to guess what my uncle is like, what would you say? You'd take all kinds of guesses. You might get some right. You get a lot wrong. But it would be so different if I invited my uncle into this room and you had a conversation with him personally. And the beautiful thing about God is we don't have to fumble in the dark and reason our way to him and guess and philosophize, but God has come near to us. He has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. He spoke with people, he talked with people, he performed miracles. It's now recorded for us in the scriptures, eyewitness testimonies. And he loved you so much. He died on a cross to 
pay for your sins, to bring you to the Father. And he rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death. If you've never looked into the evidence for the resurrection, I encourage you to do that. The way in which people were ready to die for what they claim they believe, the way the church just spread at a rapid pace and people's lives were changed because they'd seen and witnessed Jesus die and rise again. He did that so you could know him in relationship with your sins forgiven. Friends, to know God and be known by him, I think is the most amazing thing. To have a relationship with your creator It is the greatest love you could ever know, the greatest meaning, purpose, satisfaction you could ever know, knowing God in Christ. I cannot prove God to you tonight like I can prove that water boils at 100 degrees. But I truly believe as we look at this world, we see evidences of God's majesty Everywhere. And when we look at Jesus, we encounter God personally. John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the heavens declare your glory. The skies proclaim the work of your hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. God, you are glorious. You're majestic. You're wonderful. All praise be to your name. And we thank you, Father, that you have given us your son. Then in the past you spoke through the prophets and now you speak through Jesus Christ. And that we can know you, be in a relationship with you, have our sins forgiven, be your children. For you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, thank you for Jesus. We pray for people in the room tonight who are on a journey exploring who you are. And Lord, I pray that they would keep reasoning, keep exploring, keep investigating. But most of all, I pray that we would encounter you in the face of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.